Amen. Well, stay seated, if you will. We're going to do a couple things here this morning before we uh, get started. The first one is everyone grab your imaginary pants. We're going to put them on. We're going to put our big boy and big girl pants on this morning. Are you ready for this? Ready for that? It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting morning here today. So everyone grab your Bibles. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through 16. We finally finished chapter 9. Woohoo! <laughs> We're still in Luke. Probably going to be there for another year. <laughs> or two. No, I've, I've heard of churches that will go like three, four years just doing Luke because they like, they'll even go slower than we are. Like we're talking like, you know, each paragraph. I'm, just, I'm not going that slow. I'm trying to get it, get, we're trying to get through, but on the Lord's timing. So I might take, a, might take a break here a little in a little bit to shift it up, you know, kind of shake things up a little bit. But uh, here we go. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, going through 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is, abun- is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest, sending out workers into the harvest. Go now, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone or meander along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace, shalom, to this household. If a person of shalom is there, your shalom will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? (laughs) Nope. You will go down to Hades. That's hell, by the way. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Lord Jesus, open up your word to us here this morning. Open up our hearts to receive. Open up our spirits to engage so that that we may engage with you. And hear the call of the Holy Spirit as you say, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is having to say to shift church. And God, we hear you this morning. Open up our ears. Let us have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. We're going to do one more thing as we're getting started here this morning. The first thing is, everyone take your imaginary seatbelts. And fasten your seatbelts. It is going to be a bumpy ride here this morning. I was preparing the sermon. I was like, God, no, please, no. He's like, yep. I was like, all right, here we go. So buckle up our seatbelts. Going to get ready for this. Our, the, the sermon here this morning is from Disciples 
to disciple makers. And God even said, did it this morning. He's like, and you add that, that last line to that slide, Alan, at six in the morning this morning. Disciple, and, and kingdom shakers. From disciples to disciple makers and kingdom shakers. Y'all ready for this? Let's get into this. So first thing I want to do is give a little history lesson. Are we going to, anyone love history? Like history? History buffs? All right. History buffs unite. Awesome. Love history. So Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, as we talked about in the middle of nines. And this was around about the fall. So we're, we're working over here uh, in, around the fall. So around Sukkot or maybe a little bit after Sukkot because they traveled after the, the festival of Sukkot in John chapter 6, 7, and 8 up to Caesarea Philippi. And that took you know, several days, if not weeks, to get up to Caesarea Philippi. And so it may have been after, you know, just a few weeks after or a month or so after Sukkot and that, you know, that Jesus was transfigured on the Mount, on the mount of Hebron, uh, Mount uh, Hermon and then came down and uh, was healing people. And then he started traveling. He set his face toward Jerusalem. So we're looking at around fall, like around maybe September, October, November, or even as late as December. Because um, <clears throat> if, if Jesus had stayed for the festival of Hanukkah in Jerusalem as well, we don't know for sure. But so what we do know is that three, about three to six months, Jesus had made a, made a, set his face toward Jerusalem. So we'll just say, this is about six months, so maybe say about three months. We're going to say three months, th- four, three, to, three to four months. We'll say three to four months. Give ourselves a month. Um, that Jesus is setting his face toward Jerusalem. And he is traveling, and he, uh, he's been speaking all these different things. Last week we talked about his call, these really difficult calls, like, you know, let the, bury, let the dead bury their own dead. You know, no one who, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of me, is worthy of the kingdom of, of heaven. And so now we get to this first verse of chapter 10. What does it say? After this. So after this setting from the end of chapter 9 to chapter 10 now, it's still traveling. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So somewhere along here, so he's around about Samaria, as we know. So he's at least to Samaria. So somewhere between on the road between, um, between uh, Galilee and Samaria, like we, t- like we showed last week. Where the, where the road curves and goes out toward the Jordan River. So he's staying somewhere around the area of Samaria and in, in the in South Galilee area. Um, so this, this section of scripture is really interesting to me. I just figured this out this week for some reason. That this, in all the, book, all the books of the Bible, the, the authors spend the most time on. They spend the majority of the chapters in Luke. Luke, Luke spends... 10 chapters, Luke chapter, you know, the middle of nine through the middle of 19, talking about this next three, three to four months. Matthew, same thing. He starts in chapter 16 and he goes all the way to the middle of chapter 28. So 12 chapters Matthew spends on just this six to, you know, or just this three to four months history time. So whatever Jesus was doing right now, he, the, all, all the stuff that he was doing and, and, and teaching was rich. These authors were like, oh gosh, I got to write this stuff down. This is good stuff. And why? Because Jesus's ministry was coming to a close. And so Jesus knew his time was precious and he was going to spend every single moment, not wasting a single moment on anything frivolous. He understood that the times were, were coming for him. 
The times were ahead of him for his disciples. He knew that they had a limited window of ministry. Because many, like, like for instance, Stephen, Paul, or not, you know, not Paul, I'm sorry, James, the two of the guys that had been following him during this time, after he died and ascended, they only had a, maybe a, a few months or, or years after Jesus ascended that they were still alive proclaiming the gospel before, before they were martyred, before they were killed for their faith. And so Jesus understood the importance. He understood the weight of the time and the days and the minutes, minutes, down to the minutes, said before him. You know, the rest of the disciples were like, yeah, this ministry is going to last years. This is great. This is wonderful. But little did they know. You know. So this is why Jesus was empowering them. He was building a synergy among the passionate and devoted disciples around him. So this is the 72 others, as he said. He appointed 72 others, not counting the 12. So right now we have at least 84 passionate followers of Jesus following Jesus. And probably several others, but at least 84 passionate sold out, all in, followers of Jesus. Um, maybe even those who, you know, maybe some of these were the ones that Jesus said. You know, he's, well, let me go bar- bury my father. Well, let the, bar- the dead bury their dead. Okay. Like, maybe one of the, some of these guys did actually end up following Jesus. It's interesting that the rich young ruler story is during that section in Scripture in Matthew and Mark. And so, some people went away. But others... Took the difficult, took the difficult, hear, hear this. They heard the difficult call of God and they said yes. Do we ever have those times in our lives where we feel God calling us to do something? And we're like, no, it's too hard, God. No, God, that's, that's not comfortable. God, I'd have to give up too much. To follow you, God, and what I think you're trying to tell me, well, you're not really trying to tell me that because that would make me unhappy. Why, why would you do that? You'd make my life difficult. Yeah. Versus saying, yes. Let the dead bury their dead. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Go, and, go ahead and do the work that God has called you to do for his kingdom. Devoted followers of Jesus. Passionate about doing the work of ministry. They gave up their entire lives, not, just, like, not simply their livelihood, but simply their their control on their lives. That's why the plow, who's controlling the plow and the direction? The one who is is, is going, but who gives the power to the plow? The ox. The ox gives the power to the plow. And it's up to the person navigating and hearing the word of the farmer say, make straight lines. Okay, I make straight lines. Hearing the direction from God and going. going. As soon as you start plowing, he ain't stopping. You're going. You're fulfilling that line. You're fulfilling God's purposes for you. Saying yes to him. So this morning, we want to see how Jesus takes his disciples. He's, you know, he take these, takes their, his followers from disciples to disciple makers and kingdom shakers. That was the line that God had out of this morning. Disciple makers, which wasn't all it was. But to see that disciple makers is to be kingdom shakers. And I'll, say, I'll talk more about what that means.
Jesus' mission. So the overview of the message of this passage here this morning is Jesus' mission was to make disciples who make disciples and further the kingdom of God. Why? That's the biggest question I want to answer for us. Why do we share our faith? Why do we go out there and proclaim the gospel? Why do we have a church building? Why do we have, have at groups? Why do we have one-on-one relationships? Why do we want and desire to go out into our city, go out into our world, go out into our culture and into our relationships and say, you need Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Make Jesus the Lord of your lives. Why do we want to do that? Because we want a bigger offering. We want more, more butts in our seats. No, we don't. The goal is not the butts and the bucks. The goal is to further the kingdom of God. God's desire for adding people to the church was, is, and always will be to save people from their sins, to save people from death, to bring people into his kingdom, to live eternally with God and his people. That is the purpose of sharing the gospel, of having that uncomfortable conversation of saying, repent of your sins. Stop sinning and change your mind about God. Believe in Jesus and give him your life. And you will live eternally with him. This is our desire today. More people in eternity. It's not for the purposes of of butts and bucks. We have to have a much greater perspective Because when we see this passage, what, what is he saying here? Like, see, he's, he starts talking to them. He, he calls them up. He appoints them, 72 others, and he sends them ahead in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He prays for the workers he has sent into the harvest. Now, it's interesting. I, I kept trying to, I, I'm wrestling with this passage and how it's been translated. Because it, it's, it's interesting that <coughs> he tells them that the harvest is is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Which I still still wrestle with with the the translation of this. Because he's talking to the people that he's sending out. So why would he talk to the people and tell them to pray that God would send out workers if God is sending them out as, as the workers? And so it's more like God is calling them up. He's, he's saying that the harvest is abundant. The workers are few. You are, are few. And his, his very, very next sentence says, here I send you out as sheep among wolves. So he's saying, praying for you. It almost feels like he's saying, I believe that the, you know, I believe that the focus is more on Jesus sending, uh, on, on who Jesus is sending, because there are few of them compared to the enormity of the task to pray for each town ahead of them on the arrival of Jesus. And B, he's sending them out into dangerous situations with militant and religious, the the militant religious and the militant religious. You know, the Pharisees and the zealots. So the super religious and the militant and the super religious who are very, very militant. Very dangerous situation. But it's interesting. So I think, you know, he is saying, it, it feels, it, or not feels, it seems like, as I kind of study that passage more and more and more, it says basically like, as you workers, as I'm sending you workers out into the harvest, I'm praying for you. You know, pray to the Lord of the harvest, you workers that I'm sending out. So you, because I've sent you out, you need to be praying to the Lord. 
as I pray to the Lord, as, you know, as I go on my mission, I'm telling you, you need to remember to keep praying to the Lord of the harvest. As you're harvesting, keep praying to the Lord of the harvest because it's going to be difficult. There's few of you and it, you're going into difficulty. You're going into a dangerous situation. So Jesus's concept for all of his disciples is, is to transform them from disciples to disciple makers and kingdom shakers. Now, Here's something, a very important dis distinction that I want to make. People coming to faith in Jesus is not dependent on you. Can I say that again? People coming to faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation is not your fault. <laughs> is not your boasting. Is not your, is not your responsibility. Is not the weight of it is not on you. How you present the gospel or if you are able to do enough for people. If I only did this or I only did that, they would believe in Jesus and come to faith in him. Everyone take your hand. Take it to your head. Just go. Take that thought out of your brain. That guilt and that shame that Satan keeps heaping on you for your failure to present the gospel good enough. Personal responsibility is a huge spiritual trait in the kingdom of God. You see it all over scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Personal responsibility for your faith. We do not enter the kingdom of God by coercion, but by willing devotion. As Jesus engaged and invited people personally himself. That was Jesus' whole purpose. He Jesus' whole mission. There were many towns that didn't receive Jesus. As we, can, as we read here, Chorazin, Bethsaida, even Capernaum that Jesus lived in when he was not on the road. Rejected him. It was not the disciples' fault. Yeah, at the end of the, mission, at the, end of the ministry, as, as we'll see next week, Jesus didn't sit them down at the end of, end of the journey and say, woe to Bar you know, uh, Barnabas for your poor evangelistic methods. You should have used the Romans road. Oh, wait, it hasn't been written yet. Uh, you should have you. <laughs> Woe to you, Matthias, for you forgot Isaiah 53. If you had just quoted it, they would have come to faith. It's your fault that they're in hell. I don't think Jesus works that way. No, no, he doesn't. He placed the blame for the rejection and condemnation on the ones who rejected him. What does it say? What does it say there? Whoever listens to you, I'm sorry, whoever listens to me, whoever rejects, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me, which is the Father. The triune Godhead, the creator of all the universe. It's not your fault when people reject the God of the universe. Oh, man, this takes the pressure off, doesn't it? You feel that weight just plop off your shoulders? It is not your responsibility for them, for their salvation. It's not your fault when people go to hell. It's their own. But, there's the but. It is our responsibility to bring shalom and to speak the gospel. If they don't hear the gospel, that's our fault. 
God has called us to be disciples. Us, today. As Jesus called them, he called the first 12 and the 72, and then the thousands, and now us, today, to be disciples, which we'll get there, and disciple makers. He's now sending us. This is a good word that we are sent with. This is not some bummer of a message. This isn't some Isaiah 6, hey, y'all are going to die and be destroyed and exiled. He's saying this is a good news. The gospel is good news. What is the message? The kingdom has come near. That is good news. As it says, (coughs) heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near. Those who have accepted you. When you enter any town, they don't welcome you. Wipe off the dust of your feet and say, what? I tell you the truth. The kingdom of God has come near and y'all missed it. It's all about the kingdom of God. The church. The ecclesia. The people of God. This is all the way from the beginning. What, almost a year ago, November, November, December. What is this gospel message? The angels even proclaimed it. Great joy that will be for all people. Great joy. Good news. It is our responsibility, our call, to share that good news of great joy with all the people. That is our call. That is our responsibility. There was a, a chapel service I was at all back in, in college at Cal Baptist. And I'll never forget it. They did a, a skit. I wish I could find it. I don't even know what it's called. But basically these two guys were talking, these two friends hanging out. And over and over there were several opportunities that the friend had to share the gospel. He had several opportunities, and it was very, they were blat- very blatant because it was a skit, you know, a skit. And so it was a very blatant and obvious examples of opportunities that this other guy had to share, him, share the gospel with him. The guy never did. He was too afraid. Didn't want to ruin the relationship. He wanted to keep his friendship by not making it weird by talking about religion. And then I think they were driving somewhere, and they both died in a car accident. And then they came off the stage, and there was an angel there, and he directed one man over, away, you know, this, this direction toward heaven. And the, and the friend tried to follow him. He's like, no, you're going that way, going toward hell. And as they're walking down the aisles, they're, they're walking at each other. And this guy over here is saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I, 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 knew, I knew this would happen. The friend over here, you knew this would happen? Why didn't you say anything? Why did you keep your mouth shut? When you enter into eternity and see the men and women you had a chance to share the gospel with, friends, families, co-workers, and did not do so, what words do you think they will have to say to you as they're being led to the lake, to the lake of fire? Hey! 
hey, thanks for not saying anything about your faith to keep our relationship intact, because, you know, that would have been really uncomfortable. This is the reality, you guys. This is the reality. It's not a fantasy. Our faith is not a fantasy. It's not make-believe. Our faith is being devoted to a reality that things are true that are in Scripture. That this book is true. That God himself, his Holy Spirit, is in fact spiritually here. That his presence is among us. That all the things that this Bible says are true. That he heals today. That he indwells the praises of his people. That he dwells among us right now. That the presence of the living God is here with us right now. That when you walk out this building, you take the presence of the Holy God wherever you go and advance the kingdom wherever you go. That is the spiritual reality of our lives. And it is also a spiritual reality that if you keep your mouth shut, their ears remain closed. Dang, I'm getting hard hit hard this morning. What is more loving? Being steadfast, you know, that word loving, steadfastly devoted, agape, godly love. Being steadfastly devoted to someone. Sharing your faith to spend eternity with someone or hiding your faith and only spending your temporary with someone. If your relationship can be broken by talking about Jesus, maybe we should be more willing to have our relationships being broken. Our goal and our desire is to call forth God's love into people's lives. That is our heart. That is our desire. Because the gospel is good. Good news of great joy that is for all the people. All people. Matthew 10 said, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will, will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Romans 10. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. Now remember, Matthew 10 was Jesus' very words. Romans 10 is Paul's ministry about 20, 30 years later. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, being made right with God. That's what it means. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation, healing, restoration. That's what it means. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. We are compelled by our understanding of this reality. That is what leads us. Because we believe it is reality. If you don't believe that this book, this book and our faith is reality, we see no urgency to proclaim the gospel. We see no desire for sinners in the world. We see no truth to the, to the fact that God can take absolutely any person and change them. Even this weekend, we, we hosted during the summer this lady named Charity Diamond. Amazing, amazing, beautiful hearted woman. Was a stripper for about 20, 25 years. Was deep into that world. Came to faith in Jesus about two years ago. Completely left that lifestyle. And now, this weekend, yesterday, she hosted a hip-hop event for evangelism for these Christian rappers and hip-hop artists in Billings to share the gospel with her hometown of Billings. Radical salvation. Radical transformation. God can take anyone. Look at my friend Bryce. As many of you know him. Was deep into the drug, drug, you know, and 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 rough gang stuff, and you know, stuff in Southern California, tats everywhere, just you know, just rough, rough, rough upbringing, childhood, and now he's a preacher, he's a pastor in Livingston, networking with Charity Diamond to put on Help Fest in Livingston, wanting to break the spirit of suicide and death in Livingston. Fighting for the kingdom of God. God can take anyone and turn them, but anyone can also reject him. The trick is to figure out when your assignment in that person's life is over. But first we have to accept the assignment that we've been given to share the gospel with that person. This is not focusing on you know, this person, when I want to say assignment, I mean to disciple them. Because Jesus makes disciples into disciples makers. He discipled Matthew, who was a tax collector. He discipled Peter, who was a fisherman. These guys who were probably, who were sinners, extorting God's people. Zacchaeus, he took them under his wing and discipled them and saw their lives transform over time. Some people, it was an instant. Some people, it's over time. We don't know. God has called us to help disciple the unbeliever to know and believe Jesus and to believe everything that, he's, that is said about him. We disciple people knowing you know, by every action we do with or around them as Jesus did. He discipled his disciples by showing them and teaching them along the way. He taught them the gospel every day by his actions and by his words, both and. You know, kind of you know, the, the old, old cliche adage, you know, that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. You know, 
you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It's like saying, feed the homeless, and if necessary, use food. It takes both. It takes doing, showing, and speaking the gospel. Our faith, we put our faith in action every single day. These are the good works that people see and are led to glorify our Father in heaven. Our works, our lives, show people the validity of the gospel and validate to them our spoken beliefs in it. Like the the, the introductory line to one of DC Talk's old songs. The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. If people reject the gospel you teach, man, we, we grieve. We grieve because we know where they're going. But they have rejected you, which means that they've rejected Jesus, which means they've rejected the Father. We need to be okay with rejection. If people reject the gospel you preach, we grieve. And then what? We move on. Continue being faithful to God. Continue to walk in good works. And continue loving that person who rejected Jesus whenever possible. Showing them continually. Because it's never too late. But just your assignment in that person's life might be over. Let's say 2 Peter we're going to talk about this a couple times here this morning. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the day, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his, problem, his promise, as some understand delay or slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Can I say that God desires for people to put their faith in him more than you do? All we have to say is say Yes. All we have to do is say yes to God. And here's what God, here's what going from a disciple to a disciple maker and kingdom shaker looks like. From a consumer to a cultivator. We step in, we step up, and then we step out. Stepping up into our our identity, knowing who we are, remembering who we are, whose we are, this is the work that we've been cultivating for the I've been cultivating for the last what three and a half years here at Shift Church is us to understand who we are, the grace that has been given to us, the righteousness of, of who we are in Christ. Because if anyone is in Christ, we are a new creation. We've talked about all the verses before. We've been cultivating this lifestyle of understand, remember who you are and whose you are. Believe who God says you are, putting on the full armor of God. And doing what? Standing firm in that faith. Standing firm in that identity in Christ. No matter what other people say, no matter what even other Christians say. You are holy, you are righteous, you are made right with God. And our life is now growing in maturity in that identity. And doing the works that God has called us to do. Stand firm in that faith. And then do what? Step up. God called those who were following him to step up, to be an active disciple or apostle, to do the things, do the works of the kingdom. 
Remember that differentiation? Not in order to enter the kingdom, but because they are already in the kingdom of God. And these good works are what we do because we are already in the kingdom. You know, for shift, what does it mean for us? To step up for us is to engage, is to, is to flourish, and for us to accomplish the work that God has given us, we all, each and every single one of us, must be, as it says last week in Acts chapter 2, be devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, it's the relationships we talk about, to the breaking of bread, fellowship, one with another, and to prayer. To live the kingdom in our church. We first have to understand how we can engage and live the kingdom of God here. In this gathering, in our small, in our, in our, uh, our act groups, our, our mid-circles, and the breaking of bread with one another in one-on-one relationships. Intentionally growing relationships small so that we as a church can flourish. Engaging. To live the kingdom is to share the good news of the kingdom. Because when we experience something great, we want to share it with others. That's the next step. You know, when I go to University Burger and I enjoy an amazing burger, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to share that on Instagram. That's sharing the gospel of something. Sharing the good news of something awesome that you found. Sharing a five-star reviews, exactly what that is. You're proclaiming the gospel of that restaurant or that shopping experience. Why don't we do that with our faith? Give our faith a five-star review with others. An in-person, third-party endorsement for the gospel of the kingdom of God. The biggest hindrance to our faith our faith as, a, as, a, as the church, the Big C Church, our, our local church, and our own faith is an in, inability and an unwillingness to be active and for our faith to define our life. Because the devil doesn't care if you read your Bible or go to church. As long as you don't take it too seriously and actually live it. There are lots of people in our country that are Happy just to read the Bible and go to church. Maybe go to church. Or read the Bible and go for a hike. Oh, my church is in the wilderness. I'll talk more about that on my podcast. When you step up and say yes to God, you say yes to your faith, you say yes to living the kingdom of God in every single day of your life, in every single moment of your day, that is when the enemy starts to see you as a threat. Good. And finally, we step out. We give a defense for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. What does it say? How then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Remember, not all who obey are going to, are not, not, not all are going to obey the gospel. But we have to be willing to say yes, to go. That's why I wrote, that's why I wrote it down again. That's why I wanted to bring it, bring it up again. We've got to be willing to go. And what does it say? Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. <clears throat> the gospel message that we take, that we defend, is good. This isn't causing us to do something that's just going to make our entire lives miserable. Like, oh, okay, I've got to talk to people. Even for the introverts among us, this is not a call by God that is this like, ugh. This is good news. This is that, that joy that the Holy Spirit has, has implanted within our very spirits and our souls. He's tapping into that and it's spilling out. And where does it have to go first? You. You tap into that joy for others and you get a jolt of it. You get a shot of it. And people can see it. You live it. You pour it out. That's why he even says, you know, in, in John chapter 7, if anyone believes in me, I will be, I'll put my spirit within him and bubbling up to eternal life. So you get that first taste of eternal life as you're bubbling it up, spreading it out to others, sharing it with others. This is good news. This is good news of what? Great joy. What is our testimony? It's not that God delivered us from every, every hardship, you know, from experiencing any hardships and difficulties. In fact, you know, it's almost guaranteed that you'll experience more when you come to faith because now you're on the enemy's poo-poo list. What is our testimony? That my God and his church were with me in my darkest hours. My God and His church brought me through my most difficult circumstances. They were with me. God was with me. My brothers and sisters in Christ were with me and brought me through it. And I experienced the shalom of God with Him and His people. And I know that He's going to do it again. I know that he will do it again and again and again because guess what? We're going to go through hardships more and more and more and more. What is it? Take joy. Find joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. For in the testing of your faith, you produce endurance. It produces endurance with, here's the key thing, with one another. Like I said, you can't read the New Testament and not see the one another on every page. Over a hundred times in the Bible, just in the New Testament, that talks about the one another's, each other's. In order to experience faith in its fullness, the kingdom of God, you have to be in community with people of God. Not just in a service gathering, you know, a bunch of ears listening to one mouth, but being the hands and feet of Christ in each other's lives. This is what we bring, want to bring people into, 
If we're not flourishing, why would we ever desire to bring people into it? If a restaurant stinks, you would never invite someone to it. So we first have to focus on the flourishing and the health of our church so that we add people to that which is flourishing, that which is whole and healthy. And saying to others, I want you to experience this goodness too. I want you to experience God and his people being with you in the most difficult and darkest hours of your life. This is what it means to give a defense for the what? The hope. Hope of our faith that is in you. Our God is a good God who gives hope, who gives faith, who implants joy, who gives us peace and love in our own lives. Flipped open my Facebook yesterday, and I saw a, a, a post from a brother in Christ that has had contact with an underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan. And he got this notification. He said, an underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan is now at home with the Lord. We received news that, the underground church in, that an underground church in, in, Af, in Kabul, Afghanistan has been martyred. Our friends have been in contact and met together last night in deep prayer. The last words she spoke were, we feel our prayer, we feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness came over us and we were singing in the spirit. Even the kids said, mom, we will not deny Jesus. As they were on the phone, they heard screaming and gunshots. God is so powerful. They went to be with their creator, filled with joy. God has called you to be a disciple. He has called you up to be a disciple of the kingdom of God. And he has called you out to be a disciple maker. With boldness to preach and to stay faithful under oppression, rejection, and persecution. This is God's heart for his church. And we grieve because death is an enemy. We grieve for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan because death is the enemy. But God uses it for his good. Because I had a vision this morning of waking up and praying in the shower and that church huddled around Jesus' feet, worshiping him. And the children worshiping at Jesus' feet because Jesus said, let the children come to me. The gospel that we preach is good. And that's what it means to be a disciple, being brought to be a disciple maker. And that's what it means to be a kingdom shaker. We shake 
the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And live it in our church, in our families, and in our personal lives. So as we close here this morning, I'm sorry I've gotten so so long. I want to encourage us to ask the question of God. God, where would you send me? Bubble up eternal life, joy in me. Bubble up within me a desire and a joy and, a, and, a, and, a, and the gumption to preach the, this gospel, to tell everyone that I have an opportunity with to to see more people come to faith in Jesus and come into the kingdom of God. That is our goal. That is our joy. To love one another and to love uh, outsiders, to make them one another's. To love our neighbors, to bring them into the one another. It's out of love, out of joy out of faith. Jesus, say hi to our brothers and sisters in heaven. Thank you, God, that this life is not the end. Thank you that this is not all we have to look forward to. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that we look forward to joining with you in your kingdom as we live in your kingdom today and bring others into that kingdom. God, excite us, Lord, with a joy. Stir within us a passion. Steer our faith to be devoted. To making your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And your will be done in the church, and in our city. Empower us, Lord, with boldness to preach the gospel. Empower us, Lord Jesus, with courage and strength and joy, a spring in our step to go and to speak the gospel to others in our, in our, in our city, in our relationships, our family, our friends, co-workers, random people we meet on the streets, taking every opportunity that we can to share and to encourage and to bless We don't fight the way that the world fights, God. We don't fight with anger and malice and coercion and control. We fight with love. We fight with peace. We fight with compassion and blessing. We do not curse, we bless. Empower us, Lord, with blessings for all. So that you may add, and we may see you adding to our number daily, those who are being saved, baptized, discipled. Stir within each one of us your heart that you have designed for us, our purpose in your kingdom as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.